I reframed that just a little bit better so that it made sense to my mind, which is looking at my time containers. And you say, well, what's the difference? You're trying to make a different word. No, because when I look at a container versus a bucket, we just think it's all, all big buckets. Like that's kind of like the image that comes like a something Home Depot pail or whatever you think a big bucket, but a container varies in size. And that was the unlock for me is that seeing what is the container that I have? How large is this actual container? Now, based on this, what can I do with it? Hey guys, welcome back to the Hive Podcast. As always, we have a great episode in store for you guys this week. I'm super excited for this week's guest. So let's just welcome her back to the show. That's right, because she's been on before, Miss Diana Gladney. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. How are you, my friend? I, you know, I'm... Um, I'm a little salty this morning because my Padres <laughs> lost and me and you were talking yesterday. Di Diana was on Instagram yesterday wearing a St. Louis Cardinals uh, That's hat. That's the only, only hat. The yeah, only yeah. hat that matters. <laughs> <laughs> and she almost didn't come on, on the podcast because um, I said boo to the hat. Go Padres. Which uh, it was a, we're the laughing stock right now. It's almost a cancel. We're the laughing it's stock. It's almost a cancel. You know, baseball teams are good teams to have. Like, it's not like football where your team, like, drastically changed. Baseball seems pretty consistent with, like, your team may win or lose the day, but overall they're, like, a solid team or a team that really sucks. So it's like, even though they took the L, it's okay. You know, they'll never be better than the Cardinals. But, you know, everyone has their place. Car everyone <laughs> Cardinals have a good legacy. They have a good history. The Padres um, have every San Diego team's legacy. Uh, mm. We lose a lot. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't matter how much money we spend, how many great players we get on a team. Um, we're just going to, we're going to, we're going to lose when it counts. <laughs> that sucks, man. That sucks. <laughs> uh, I, 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 we just have to be the laughing stock of all major league baseball right now. Uh, for anyone that's not a, a baseball fan, I'm really sorry for this little tangent, but the Padres <laughs> just spent a lot of money and traded for some of arguably the best players in baseball right now. And we still can't win. <laughs> <laughs> mm. biggest trade in all of major league baseball history. And we still can't win. Oh, well, okay, let's move on. Tis the season, man. It'll get better. It'll hopefully, get better. hopefully. All right. So Diana is a fantastic content creator. Um, her content really focuses on motivating you to, you know, create the best content you possibly can and to keep you going. And she also helps businesses realize the potential of marketing on social media. So Diana, uh, we talked I think it was over a year ago you were on the show and we talked kind mm. of about your journey and how businesses can implement social media. But I want to talk about you. I want to talk about your journey. Uh, when did your, uh, your journey in your creative endeavor really start? Oh man, I'd say it, it kicked off like June, 2016 ish. Just be, yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd have to start there because I got, I'm counting not just when I got my first camera, that would be November of that year, but June pulling out the terrible smartphone. I think it was like at five mega, maybe five to eight megapixel sensors at the point. It's just it was it was sad days in the smartphone camera space. And so I'd say it's like June 2016. It was literally like around the second coaching session with my first uh, hired business coach. And the first thing he says to me is like the worst news ever, which is you have to start being visible using video. And I'm like, this dude doesn't know me. He's tripping. Like, I don't, <laughs> I cycle the same six, seven photos for the Facebook picture all the time. Like, bitch, I didn't see this one yet. You got a couple new friends, swap these around. 
It's just a cringe moment, but yeah, man, it's been like, it's pushing six years now. And you're doing fantastic. And we're, I want to talk about how that journey's kind of evolved for you. Um, let's talk about some of the opportunities. We're just going to skip right into like the opportunities that have come. And then we're going to kind of rewind a little bit about some of the struggles maybe along the way. But let's talk about, because you you followed your passion, you started that creative journey that you have you had a passion about that you always wanted to do. What opportunities have come from that, from pursuing your goals? Man, I have had such a wild ride when I think about it in that way. Um, I've been able to work with some of the biggest brands, um, not like just in media, but just literally biggest brands when it comes to the tech space, when it comes to camera space, brands like Sony, um, work with different partnerships, working with Adobe, looking at Amazon with just, it's just so it's very interesting. Like you start thinking about the names and it, it feels like a name dropping thing, but it literally is just a bunch of blessings. I worked with Social Media Marketing World uh, and Social Media Examiner, which is the, the company that hosts that. I've been able to partner with uh, brands that are incredible content creators like Think Media, uh, incredible powerhouses in the writing space like Ray Edwards. It is a fantastic um, just series of events that I honestly could not have planned. It's just like a, a bunch of amazing blessings. But yeah, man, those are just like some of the companies that I've been able to work with along the way. And it might, but those are, those are like the great things that you do put on the website. The less common known ones are those that really started hitting uh, in a massive way in 2020 when I started getting messages from pastors saying that, like this one pastor in particular uh, over in Africa, it was like, you helped me to save my ministry. I had an actually rather large ministry. And he was like, we just weren't able to get the video stuff figured out and watching your content and following your advice. I've been able to um, help save my ministry through this pandemic. And that was like one of the most meaningful ways because you think sitting in front of a camera that it's not that big of a deal or who's going to listen to me. And you really don't know like what is in your heart to be spilled out is like intentional because it's literally somebody else that's suffering waiting for that message to show up. And so it's been, you know, messages like those or working with um, organizations like the Seventh-day Adventist ministry. Um, I'm not a part of that ministry, but it just uh, opportunity came around of they wanted me to speak with like the heads of their organization and do a training around content creation and things like that, um, which is something that, you know, really transcends into changing people's lives. And that's been my whole mission with the content that I've been creating. Uh, and so it's been such a joy to see, yes, those big name brand things, the stuff that looks good on paper in the news article, but those real life lives that are changed uh, because of that. And it's been super meaningful. Yeah, that's almost like a benefit you don't really expect when you get into it. You have these like bigger, I don't want to say bigger because that's not the right word, but like these other ideas of what success might be in content creation. Mm -hmm. And like the in our field, it might be working with specific brands. Like I'm going to mm -hmm. work with Sony or, you know, Rode or, or bigger companies that put on conferences. I'm going to speak at these. And you view that as, as success. But then when you get yeah. these personal messages, whether it's through like a YouTube comment or an Instagram DM or Twitter about how your content really helps somebody, those are like the unexpected benefits. And they're, they're definitely more powerful and they keep you going more than some of these other ones do because mm -hmm. these other opportunities 
as good as they are, they, they add stress. <laughs> they do. They add stress. <laughs> they add work. But the, those comments on how you touch people's lives and how they really benefited from your content is just so amazing and keeps you going. And it really is an unexpected benefit that comes with pursuing your passion. Um, what were some of the struggles? So we talked about, you know, the benefits and we're going to dive back into that in a, in a little bit, but you never would have attained those benefits. Those, those never would have came to you if you didn't pursue your passion. And I've always talked about just start. Like we all need to hear that at times, especially when you're just getting started. You need to hear just start. Like don't overthink it. Just start creating. Mm -hmm. It benefits me when I'm in like a rut and I haven't been creating in a while and I just need to get back into yeah. it. But when you're in the middle of it, there are struggles along the way. What were some of the struggles you faced after you got started um, and how did you overcome them? Yeah, I would, I would definitely say, I think one of the biggest hurdles is always whatever your right now hurdle is. Like it's whatever the most immediate hurdle that's about to slap you in the face if you don't properly vault that thing. And for me, that was, um, you know, my battle with stage four endometriosis. And this is even after having surgery um, and just trying to get down the road to recovery, not knowing like this is as severe as it's gotten in, on days, how bad it would really get that I would have to really learn to segment and figure out how to become a creator, this like energy based thing. <laughs> like you got to be on camera and I had to figure out how can I show up on camera on days when I don't feel well and how can I just honestly maneuver that energy when there really isn't like a surplus. And so when you look at it as the buckets of time, I think everybody's uh, bigger concern, one of the bigger concerns is is going to be time. You know, financial investments is a thing, but you can kind of make it happen whether you're starting with your phone or you get gifted a camera or whatever. There's a lot of financial time-based things. Mine was the bigger thing of time because there's the energy expenditure. Um, so one of the bigger, bigger struggles and my biggest struggle has been figuring out how to navigate that sea of content creation when I was still working a full-time job. And now I'm kind of working full time outside of work, like five until you faint. <laughs> and so, or just honestly, some days it'll be an all nighter and I'm doing a podcast recording um, and my alarm wake is going off on my phone to wake me up for the day. And i never went to sleep. And so trying to figure that out has been like one of my greatest joys because it helps other people that deal with chronic diseases figure it out, which is honestly looking at what are your good days and then what are your bad days? Most of the time you kind of can't choose. So you have to figure out a system based on whatever day shows up for you that day when you can't push through, you physically can't push through. Um, and that's been one of the biggest challenges. Yeah. You, <laughs> you brought out a good point. Like the biggest challenge is what's ever right in front of you at that moment. And it's, it's not the same for everybody. And when I, when I think of challenges, when it comes to content creation, you know, oftentimes I, th I think about maybe, you know, what gear don't I have that I need to make what I'm making, right? And that's a lot, what a mm. lot of us think of, but you brought out a good point. It's like, we all go through different things in life and it's often unseen by the people uh, that are viewing our content. And so those often are the biggest struggles because sometimes you feel alone. You don't feel like anybody will understand what you're going through because yeah. it's unique to you and it is, and and that's okay. But you got to, you got to push through it and you have to find that motivation. If content creating makes you happy, then just buy it. You got to find the time to buy out to like 
make time for it and and like I said, just get started. So that that motto still applies even when you're into it. Sometimes it hold, stuff holds you back, whether it's health, whether it's gear, which gear is not even like the big the big issue. Most of us have personal things in life that hold us back from content creating. You you mentioned a good uh well you mentioned something I think all of us struggle with when it comes to content creation, and that's just time. Time management. Where do you find the time? Oftentimes people are working a full-time job and coming home and, and creating content. We all started that way. No one just starts as I'm a full-time content creator and this is how I make my living. If you did, congratulations. Yeah. Um, write a I'll book. See, we'll right, we'll are, read it. <laughs> listen, because you are in the minority. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, managing your time is a struggle, especially if you have a full-time job. What were some of the things that, that helped you, you know, other than uh, working all night, content creating, I don't think it's probably the best Best advice oh, and solution. No, don't do that. Definitely <laughs> you, not. Definitely not. You need sleep. Yeah. Uh, but what are some of the things that sure. helped you push push out content and still manage your time so you know you had a life and you could work and and take care of yourself? Yeah, for sure. So it's really looking at what are those waking hours, those sedentary sedentary hours, and then what are those um, family time hours? And so um, I love the way Heather Torres of Think Media de- describes this bucket. She's the one who. Um, honestly, I've learned this from, which is looking at your time as buckets. And I reframe that just a little bit better so that it made sense to my mind, which is looking at my time containers. And you say, well, what's the difference? You're trying to make a different word. No, because when I look at a container versus a bucket, we just think it's all all big buckets. Like that's kind of like the image that comes like a something, a Home Depot pail or whatever you think a big bucket, but a container varies in size. And that was the unlock for me is that seeing what is the container that I have, how large is this actual container now based on this, what can I do with it? And so everything, everybody has a different size container of time. And when you're looking at somebody that can do full-time content, you're just like, man, well, I would be successful. It's successful. I could do all of that. And if I did have that much time, but you're going to start with whatever container you have. And so when I recognize when, okay, I'm working a full-time job, I'm guaranteed to give them this set amount of hours every single week. What other time is there that's not guaranteed? It is illogical to think that you are going to work a ton of overnighters and that's the norm because it's not. It is illogical to think that um, you're just going to completely take away a bunch of time from your family because it's not, that's not, it's not plausible for a lot of people and everybody has different drivers. And so when I looked at the containers that made sense to me and then the things that I need for me to mentally stay in a good space, because it's always like the scales, you don't ever want to get to a point to where the scales are too tipped. I don't think there's really a such thing as balance, but I do think it's an, a difference of going into extremes or not when you're completely depleted or completely energized, right? So I'm just trying to look at making sure I don't dip down way, way, way far. For me, that's taken away from the things that give me joy. Um, Now, there are seasons where you have to go through discomfort. So I'm willing to take away for me, which would be time for TV. Me watching anime is not making and breaking anything, but it is a container that I'm watching because it's a level of joy. But can I find joy in something else that's also mutually beneficial? Sure. Let me read a book. So I started putting myself on a book a day challenge and I was able to do that for a week just to one, see if I could do it, but then two, see what's possible. I'm like, okay, so I can condense time frames to take away from television and repurpose that. So proving that fact for myself. 
Now, I'm looking at this TV time that I have. I could read a book. I could make a video. I could do all these different things. So based on this container of time, looking at my energy expenditures, how much and what can I do with it? It's illogical, again, to think that I can do all of these things in this small container, but I can start segmenting tasks out so that every day throughout the week, I'm doing something that is progressively moving the needle forward, not the busy work to just feel like you're doing stuff. And it's like, well, at least I did something today. Nah, that ain't the best benchmark. <laughs> what did we do to progressively move the needle forward? For me, that was looking at when I would be at work, because there is some time, some cushion of time there. I'm just looking at all the micro containers that I have. You get two 15-minute breaks, at least a 30, 45, or 60-minute lunch, depending on what job that you have. You also have the time that you're up and doing stuff before work, and you have that drive time um, on the way home. Most of us didn't work from home at the time. So for me, I didn't. So I'm like, what's the, awaking, what's the wake hours before I go to work, including a drive time? That's learning time. Meaning, what are the things that I could just listen to that's giving me great information that's going to feed me to when I can do planning stuff, I can actually execute on what I'm learning, then I'm not thinking, well, let me watch and listen to this first. And then I'm going to segment this much time. And then I'm going to plan it. No, your brain don't work as best as we want it to, you know, make it function a certain way. Your brain don't switch tasks that great. So let me just give it a solid task. Morning time is learning time. There's I so would go much. to work. Yeah. Go, go ahead. I'm no, sorry. no, go ahead. I'm just, I'm fascinated with all the information you're sharing. Go ahead. Yeah, this, this how I broke it down. Uh, again, it's just the containers of time. So that drive to work, the morning getting up. So from early morning start, what's the podcast that I'm listening to? What's the um, curated playlist is what I would do. Like just keep a saved and private play, playlist of what are the things that are like listenable learning. It's not something where it's like a Final Cut Pro tutorial. That's not helping you. It's stressing you out because you want to go edit and figure out the stuff. Don't do that. What's the listenable learning things? Um, so I'd have podcasts that I listen to every single week, know when that schedule's publishing. Um, other stuff that would be like courses that is, again, listening-based material. That includes the drive to work. So I completely cut out radio and TV for a period no less than six months. Now, it didn't wind up... I, I started just supposed to be 30, 60 days because I was used to doing digital fasts, which is taking away from something that you're moving into excess, TV social media, radio, because it mostly is nonsensical information and just time we use for just nothing. Right. Sometimes TV just on you just kind of brain dumping. So I took that time away and repurposed it into this. Now at work, there would be times where I don't have to be on the phone and I do have to be on the phone. The first thing was a movable thing that I could do, a movable obstacle, just apply for another internal job that was take me from on the phones to off the phones. So I did that. That made me get like 30 hours per week of listening time. So I didn't have to change jobs, make any serious career moves, just move to a different position that took me literally from making outbound calls to being off the phone completely. So now I can go through a whole audible course version of stuff. And now I could have my journal on the, on the table, which I did. And now I just went from maybe two, three to five hours in the morning only and just skipping the work hours to about 30 plus hours of listenable time because you can do your work and your job mostly autonomously. So I switched to that. Lunch and breaks, this, breaks start becoming something different. Now, most people go sit with a coworker or something like that. I'm not getting anything beneficial out of this relationship. And most of this is like, uh, 
it's just a distance, like because we're in proximity, it's a proximity relationship is kind of what I categorize it. There are some good friendships that I've maintained long-term outside of that. Most of the people you work with, you ain't really kicking it with them like that. It's just that we cool because we work together. Right. So <laughs> evaluated those relationships. I don't take breaks in the break room anymore. I just take them at the desk so I can log off, put a sign up, and then I go into my journal and I can start planning. I got 15 minutes guaranteed planning time before I go back into work. Now, br- lunches started to become something that I start taking parts of because you need do need to eat. But I also like kind of <laughs> cheated a bit because I would just eat before actual scheduled lunchtime because you can eat at your desk. So I ate at my desk while I was working and listening and learning. And then when I clocked out for lunch, now I got 45 minutes of straight execution. And now I'm going into heavy duty planning. I stopped making, they, you know, you have where <laughs> your job tells you you have to do overtime. Yeah, no, I'm going to have to ask for the Lord's grace on this one because I ain't doing the overtime. I just, I just, that's that I'm going to do an excellent job. I was a very proficient working, a proficient worker and efficient in my time. So I just figured I'm just going to go balls to the wall, hard and efficient with the work that I do. So I reframed some of the processes of how I worked so I could just get better metrics. It got to the point, it was funny, Jared. I just start, they, they accused me of cheating other coworkers because my numbers, they put the numbers up every day on the board. And it's like, nah, man, she cheated. She, <laughs> she gave in the system. Ain't no way. And I was like, okay. So they had the, uh, had the bank director come sit with me to shadow me. And he was like, just show me what you're doing. I said, great. I said, y'all do it this way. I'm going to show you how I do it. I made it more efficient. They wind up changing the whole <laughs> department's process based on the way that I work, which is more efficient. And so because I'm, my thinking is this. Most people think, screw your job and go for your goals. I don't believe in that. I believe in honoring the job that I have because it's been a blessing to my life. It, the insurance afforded me to have surgery. The money allows me to live uh, and just take care of work and, and life. And then I can go and make these investments from the paychecks. It may not be the greatest, but there's something that's beneficial there. So I start trying to honor the job that I had with the work that I was able to do, which is give them great and efficient work. Now, it's not stressful if I'm leaving earlier, if I'm not doing overtime. Then when overtime became a thing, because I think, again, whatever your challenge is, whatever's right now in front of you, is like they want you to do overtime. Dang, that's going to eat into my creativity time when I get off work. I'm not going to do that. So I started making a deal with my boss. I said, I bet, because I worked from 7.15 to 3.45. I said, I bet that by the time the 9.30 shift people come in, by 10 o'clock guaranteed, I will have done what those people are going to do all day long within 7.15 to 10 o'clock, if not 9.30. He's like, I don't think you can do it. I said, you want to bet? He's like, yeah. I said, now. I said, here's the caveat. If I hit this metric and I clear the board and we're all good to go and my numbers are in that short block of time frame, what these people would do for the whole day, I get to leave early, PTO. He bet me on this and he lost (laughs) and he kept losing. (laughs) It's just tackling those right now hurdles. Yep. Diana. So there's a, there was a lot of good information there and everyone listening, um, (laughs) you definitely need to rewind and listen to that multiple times because there is a lot of knowledge bombs there. Um, 
everyone, you know, we all have the same 24 hours, but our time buckets aren't the same. Like you brought out, everyone's got different time buckets and how you manage that is different. I almost look at managing your time, like managing uh, a budget. Like I'm a, I'm a numbers Mm -hmm. person. I love numbers. Mm -hmm. I love spreadsheets. I got spreadsheets on spreadsheets when it comes to managing my business. Uh, You ask me for any report and any statistic and I'll be able to figure it out. It's no different with time. If you're trying to save money on your budget and you're like, you know what? That Starbucks coffee I get, you know, a couple times a week, that's that's 15, 20 bucks. You cut that out, right? It all adds up. Same thing with your time. Write it down. How often do you write down how much time you spend doing things and figure out where you can cut back to make time for other things? Probably not that often. Look at what some of the big time wasters are. For me, social media. Like we're content creators, but I waste too much time consuming other content. Mm, biggest biggest thing I'm that's helped me, yeah. <laughs> right, over the over the last week, is I turned off the note. I didn't delete the apps. A lot of people do that. It's a little extreme for me. I do find pleasure in, in just endless scrolling sometimes. But mm-hmm. to keep me from doing that too often, I turned off notifications on all social media. Mm. So I don't have notifications coming in. Out of sight, out of mind. And then it's, you know, mm. only top of mind when when you're ready for it. Um, such yeah. good advice. But I got I to gotta ask. So you mentioned all these fantastic things that you're doing now. But how long did it take for you to figure that out, right? Was it all at once? Was it one thing at a time? It probably wasn't all at once, right? How long yeah, did it take I you to figure all that out? <laughs> For everyone it listening, right? Because it's not like it's not like an easy fix. We hear that advice. We're like, I'm going to yeah. implement that tomorrow. It's not realistic, right? Mm, no, definitely not. Because you're not always working off your own timetables. Like if it was, if it is up to you, yeah, you would make all the changes all day long. But you're waiting for the job interviews. You're waiting to go through the process of job interviews. You're waiting to actually get onboarded to see is this really a conducive work environment, or should I go back to my old position? Um, You're looking to see if it makes sense to switch jobs. And so you're going and venturing into that. Like there's a lot of other things that factor into, quote unquote, your time because it's not it doesn't all belong to you. And so, again, a good portion of that is your job stuff. So maneuvering that and then obviously switching supervisors, working with within different extremes and, and honestly, different times where you really do only can really do your job. And like that's like you're exhausted, beyond exhausted when you get home. Couple that with not feeling well, you ain't doing nothing when you get home. You'd be glad if you got a meal in uh, to let fully digest before you went to go lie down. So like it, it takes years to do that because you're constantly looking at how can I, you know, either shave some time off here or how can I gain some time back here? Um, you know, how can I make this work? Like coming up with stuff like, again, systems where the working with the job may take a couple months because I'm reading books like Grant Cardone's The 10X Rule. And because of this, uh, I'm like, okay, now let me 10X not just what I'm trying to do on the side, but for the job. So I'm testing training processes or I go off to do a special project that may earn me more money at the company, but is going to take away from the time that I can do stuff at home. Yeah. So it takes years to go through and figure this stuff out just because life is not a cookie cutter. It right. just isn't. And I, I think managing your time and finding ways that you can really get the most out of your time is important. Like you said, uh, you do a lot of listening and audio learning. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I do that all the time. I'm always listening 
uh, to audiobooks or podcasts or even what Diana said isn't beneficial. I'll, I'll listen to YouTube videos, tutorials. I, I will because I, I'll know when I get home because because my job is a little different, right? I am a mm. full-time content, well, not content creator, but full-time creative because I do a lot of work, photos yeah. and video for other, yeah. other people, for clients. So listening to tutorials and different stuff is beneficial for me and what I do mm-hmm. because I can go, hey, I, I want to do this in this video. I'm not quite sure how to do it. So on my drive time, I'll pull it up. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm not watching YouTube while I'm driving, but I'm listening to it. And then mm-hmm. I have that knowledge that I can go ahead and try and try to implement when I get back to the computer and to edit. So I think that that is huge. I, I've always been a full-time or a full believer in if you have downtime, whether it's driving, whatever it you're doing, try to educate yourself in the the goal that you're pursuing. That That's going to help you get there much, much quicker than not doing that, obviously. Um, man, yeah. we've, we've discussed a lot and this is all, you know, rewinding, not rewinding, but circling back to content creation, right? Because uh, we all want, well, not all of us, but if you're listening to this podcast, you probably want to create content, maybe want to pursue that as your full-time living. And so we can't always just, that's it. That's what we're, we're going to do. We have to work towards it. We have to manage jobs like Diana has been talking about. So it is a long process, but you have to just start now and start figuring out that process for you and how to manage your time. So looking at how you spend your time and how you can best utilize it is, is probably the most beneficial tip I've ever heard on how to get there. We talk about a lot of skill sets and gear and stuff on this show, but we don't necessarily talk about time. And that's all, that's something we all have in common. And that's probably the biggest thing you talk to anybody is I just don't have enough time. That's what holds everybody back. So figuring out how you can manage that and still have a life (laughs) and create content and not feel miserable doing it. It's important. So uh, we're going to take a quick, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk to Diana about um, her, some more opportunities that have come her way. We're going to learn more about her speaking engagements and a book that, that Diana is writing that we can all benefit from. So we'll be right back. I wanted to share with you one of the best decisions and investments I've ever made as a content creator. Nothing has impacted the quality of what I create and how I create as much as Ecamm has. Ecamm is the leading all-in-one live streaming production platform built for Mac. But let me tell you, it is so much more than that. You actually don't even need to live stream with Ecamm. You can use its powerful production platform like I do to record videos and podcasts to ease the burden of post-production. Ecamm supports multiple camera inputs, camera LUTs, and color correction. You can build in scenes, overlays, text, widgets, and sound. The ability to bring on remote guests and record multi-track audio has been huge for this podcast. Oh, and I almost forgot, Ecamm allows you to stream and record in 4K. Good luck finding another application that lets you do that. Rather than being a cloud-based application, which, let's be honest, usually spits out junk, Ecamm is an application on your Mac, leveraging your computer's processing power rather than some remote server ensuring you get the most power and the best quality. From beginners to experts, from content creators to businesses, thousands trust Ecamm to power their video productions. Use the link in the show notes or the description of the video to download Ecamm and try a 14-day free trial. Use code JARED15 at checkout if you decide to purchase 
to receive 15% off. Trust me, your future self is going to thank you. All right, we're back. We're talking to Diana Gladney. We've talked about a lot about time management, how to best utilize your time, because it is something that we all struggle with. And that can keep a lot of people from creating the content they want to create because we just don't have the time. So um, like I said, rewind, go back, listen to that multiple times because there's a lot of good info. But now we're going to talk about Diana's managed her time. She's become a full-time content creator. She's helping businesses. She's helping people. Let's talk about some of the other benefits um, that have come and that's speaking engagement so she can offer that knowledge to more and more people. Now that we have in-person speaking engagements again. Um, right. You're, you spoke at people, people of video, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's the name of that conference. Um, social media marketing world, which is huge. Um, I think mm-hmm. social media marketing world is a big conference here in San Diego. And what I love about that one is it's not just geared towards content creators, but it's more geared towards companies, large companies, yeah. any company that wants to utilize social media for marketing. So you got to speak at that. You're going back to people with video. Um, how have, tell me about those experiences. Was that something that you've always wanted to do or was that something you were expecting would eventually come? Absolutely. Like in the bank, in the cubicle, year one. Nice. I'm looking like, okay, once I learned, you know, like you learn what the, the big movers and shakers in your space uh, are, what those events are, then you're like, okay, one of these days I'm going to speak at that event. And so- I believe in the whole visualizing technique, like literally seeing yourself there. And it gets better when you're actually in that space and you can like maybe even get a chance to go up on stage if it's allowed uh, or getting a chance to go to the room and seeing yourself navigating that space. So um, like day one, year one, it felt like (laughs) I'm like, okay, uh, I definitely want to to do that. You don't know how exactly you're going to pull this stuff off, but it is at least still on the goal list. Uh, so it's been massively, uh, just a, a massively grateful and humbling and honoring experience to have made it to that stage. It, at least it, it feels like much sooner than I would have expected. And for everybody, when I say that, it's kind of different. Like they'd be like, oh, no, I like I would have lo- long since expected by now. Or you see it like down the road. So for me, it's just like I, I don't know. I just imagine that a little bit further down the road. So it came for me sooner uh, than I anticipated. I got to ask, how much different is that than what you're doing in front of a camera? Is the, is the, obviously the information, a lot of it is the same, but how you present it, is it different? Have you put together those presentations in a different way than how you put your videos together or does it carry over pretty easily for you? That's an excellent question. So it's a couple levels and stages to that. Um, the first thing is not being stuck to a teleprompter. That's, I think, a huge shift for a lot of creators. If they get into where they're super reliant on a teleprompter or they're just used to winging it. I fit in neither of those camps where I'm planned and it's prepared, but I'm using bullet points. And so the delivery is not like a winging it. It's like structured, but it's not word for word as if it's a teleprompter. So I think the difference in making that level of congruency in the content that you're making with your YouTube videos and then navigating that for a in-person talk 
like I've I've been teaching honestly, like in person, standing in front of somebody since I think I was in middle school. If I was in middle school, I was teaching uh, the elementary schools. If I was in high school, I was teaching the middle school. And that's kind of continued on no matter what I was doing in some space. So talking in front of people has never been an issue. Now, being structured and talking in front of people to where you know you're going to guarantee a delivery with a, um, something that they're going to take away for sure has been a progressive process to make sure that you can teach. That's where the YouTube videos have been extremely valuable because you're constantly curating and refining your content based on your target audience and how well it, it was delivered or how poorly it was delivered. And poorly doesn't mean the video sucked or you were stammering or stuttering over your words. Those aren't the things that make or break a piece of a video. And some people think how they present themselves, it, it makes the difference, but it's really not. It's just really in learning to communicate well with your audience. So I feel like I've gotten a great level of, of betting of training. The YouTube videos have completely refined and, and just made me a more efficient creator. Now translating that to speaking in person, it doesn't bother me no matter how much I share, like how introverted I am. When I got on that stage, I just felt ready. Like that was a question that was asked, like you get a, like a speaker advocate, if you will, somebody that's there, help one, watch your stuff to make sure that if you need anything, bottle water, it's like you're taken care of. You have somebody that literally helps to take care of you at that event. Um, it's a fantastic experience. And so the young lady that was caring for me, she asked, like, are you feeling nervous? And I'm like, no, I feel ready. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, let's do this. So you have that same level. I'm ready to sit down, and deliver my content with a YouTube video, but it's in person. And there are some differences to engaging versus just some long, dry, clear eyes guy monologue. Yeah. And, you know, people are dying because uh, you have to work the room. And so learning to speak publicly, um, I used to teach uh, teen church at my church, which I think is probably one of the hardest, hardest audiences and kept them and navigated them well. And we always had a great time and stuff and the kids loved it. So it wasn't just like one sided. <laughs> so uh, that that's been a lot of great training of learning to work the room, learning to take a non-engaged person to an engaged uh, participator in the event, not necessarily from getting them to say something or stand up or, you know, raise their hand necessarily, but to where they like, mm, I don't know if I like you. I ain't never seen you before. <laughs> I ain't never heard you. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, they prejudging you, right? Versus like, dang, you know, you, then next thing you know, you, you look back around to that portion of the room and they all leaned in, they're engaged, they're taking notes, they're laughing. And it's like, yeah, I flipped you. He's like, you better watch out. I'm lethal. <laughs> so it's, it's been a it's been a good exchange. YouTube is an excellent training bed for that, though. It, it, it really is. And what a cool experience. Again, never would have came had you not figured out how to manage your time and pursue your goals. And it's just a really cool experience. And I think you've highlighted well how important it is that um, you you know what you're talking about. Right. It's a little mm -hmm. different because. Maybe there's probably not a teleprompter. There might be the TVs that are up, you know, in front of the stage that kind of have your slides and bullet points. But um, I think doing bullet points and really knowing your information, having some flexibility is important when engaging the audience. Mm -hmm. It's going to keep it lively. But just like a YouTube video, you don't want to just spit out knowledge. You want to approach it to like what whoever's sitting there in the chairs, what are they going to get out of it? And I think leaving yeah. room for engagement and getting the audience involved and reading the room is so important because if you don't do that, they're not going to get anything out of it. And that's the most important thing, yeah. right? It's not about what you know. Yeah. It's about what the people that are listening to you can can get out of it. 
Um, mm-hmm. let's, let's talk about one more thing that you're doing that I think is so cool. Um, and that's writing a book. That's, I think that's yeah. just so amazing that you're writing a book. And I, I really do think that's kind of like the, the evolution and content creating is you see a lot of these content creators, like we're moving past YouTube, you're writing a book. Um, you know, Danny Gewurz, who's been on the show before, I've been talking to him. He's making a full on movie, right? Moving past yeah, just man. YouTube videos into other different types of content creation. Writing a book is definitely creating content. It's written words on paper. I think it's amazing. Can you share what what the book is about? Yeah, man. And so like this, like just a touch on that for a minute. You ain't lying. It's like the the fact the navigation of like to again, I've and I've watched people's films that I found them first on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And it's just like the the level of transition that people and I'm watching other people become authors. Literally it's like you think YouTube is the goal and then you uncover some other desire or want or something and it just makes it it possible for you to do it or makes you better at it. And I just love that YouTube has allowed that creative flexibility, if you will, uh, in just doing that. So you're right. It's just been such a great experience. Um, so writing a book is very different than making a YouTube video. Right, right. <laughs> and I've loved going through this process but I'd be lying if I didn't say it was kicking my butt some of these days, <laughs> uh, but in a good way. Uh, the book that I'm writing, of course, it's about video and it's about, well, I won't say of course, because sometimes you, the topic may be different, uh, but this is something that I think creators will will get a, a kick out of. It's called uh, The Video Creator's Recipe, the guide to take your videos from bland to bingeable. And the reason that I want to write this book and I am writing this book is because YouTube videos are great. Courses are great. I don't take anything away from that. However, it's a lot of out there, all over the space. You find it. It's delivered for a specific target audience, but you can't always craft it and curate it and make it specific to your life or your series of events and things like that. And that's what I want the book. I would really want to take all of the collection of knowledge that I have and some stuff that's still hasn't made it to the channel yet, stuff that still hasn't made it to a course yet, and condense it down, take away even more fluff, some of the things you just don't need because it's not a video, and give factual information, but in a way that it's easy to digest. So if you do want to start creating videos for your brand and for your business, you aren't suffering from trying to figure all this stuff out and and hope that the YouTube search engine shows you what you're looking for, It's just a conglomerate of the right information uh, targeted, I think, to the right person, which is a creator that's looking to use video to amplify their business, but not make the clear eyes dry, boring content. Yeah. <laughs> are we gonna get are we gonna get some uh, Diana Gladney experiences in that book and and how you've implemented the stuff that you're sharing in the book? So that's what that's the funny thing. That's why I said this book has been kicking my butt because I wrote all the technical stuff first. Yeah. Now I have to go back in and add all of the me in there. And it's like, yeah, the book's good, but like you're not in it. And I was like, oh, right. I didn't say like this is the bees and these hall of fame of X, Y and Z. So <laughs> I've been learning this whole writing process. Uh, and so it definitely is now like it's a way better book now. And I'm glad I kind of pushed off like the intended date. I was looking to even drop it in July. But, you know, once you get some feedback on it, I'm like, yeah, let me I'd rather let this wait just a bit longer to have those stories and that level of personality in there. So it's not just a 
instruction manual, uh, so to speak. Yeah, that's awesome. I can't wait to read it. I can't wait to read it. How long have you been working on it? To be honest with you, I started this idea October of 2021. Okay. Yeah. So, I so mean, it's been a process. Writing a book is a process. It seems really, really daunting. I used to write a lot when I was younger and like junior high, high school. I loved writing. I kind of got out of it, but mm-hmm. it is a very long, drawn out process, um, much to like making a movie, right? Like you have your rough draft. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, creating anything is just a lot of work if you want it to be mm-hmm. good. So that's awesome. And it is just so cool how YouTube is a gateway, like, Often you mentioned it, like oftentimes when you start creating, you view like starting a YouTube channel and having a YouTube channel is the goal. That's that's the thing I want to do. But it opens up so many other possibilities that you had no idea about, and all of a sudden, it's just part of the journey to the other stuff that you want to that you want to do. So I think that's that's really cool. Um, Diana, thanks for your time. Thanks for coming back on the show. Um, I don't want to take up too much more of it, but anybody that wants to uh, follow along on your journey, what's the best place for them to do that? Well, because I know they're already watching this on YouTube first, and then you're listening to the podcast again in the car. (laughs) It's like you're uh, already on YouTube. It's just to search me, Diana Gladney. And then, of course, my website, uh, dianagladney.com. Cool. Well, thanks for coming back on the show, Diana. Talk to you soon. It has been an honor. Thanks. Well, guys, I hope you benefited from this episode. I know I have. Definitely go back and re-listen or re-watch it because there's so much good information, especially when it comes to time management. And I hope you can see that pursuing your goals are going to open up to other goals and the the possibilities are really endless. So I hope you're motivated to get started. If you enjoyed listening to this, make sure you give it a five-star rating. If you're listening in your favorite podcast player of choice, if you're watching on YouTube, like Diana said, make sure you give it a thumbs up, subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. And I'll talk to you guys next week.